This is this is off screen. latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to the Offscreen Star Wars special. I'm Van Connor. My name is Case Allen. I'm Colin Yates. And I was last Andy Meek in a previous life. When we last checked. <laughs> so, it's our Star Wars special. The Force Awakens is almost upon us. At the time of recording, we are a week to the day out. Is it, is it a week to the day? If you're in the US, in yeah. the UK, it's six days. In the UK, six days. In the UK, so it is or five and a half days if you go into midnight. If we go into midnight, exactly. That's what I'm doing. That's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. Are we all doing? I think that's what everyone's doing, isn't it? I think yeah. so. The whole of the UK is going at midnight. Everyone, yeah. so, I've got to get up for work in the morning. It's a prime night places, for burglars, though. If you're a burglar in the United Kingdom, it, it's going to be like Christmas. You just take a chance, and you know that you've got houses full of geek swag. That's that's the point. Well, that's, that's what Colin's going to do. That's why he's not seeing films. Oh, that's me, sussed. <laughs> so, as with all great Star Wars uh, discussions, we should, of course, start at the beginning. But not the chronological beginning, because that would just be, well, sad. And, <laughs> and really, a real downbeat note on which to start. So, shall we start in 1977-78, depending on which country you lived in, with... Episode 4, colon, A New Hope. It wasn't A New Hope in 1977. It was not, <laughs> it was just Star Wars. It was just Star Wars, Star Wars. and I, I'm one of those saddos who really gets pedantic about that. I watched <laughs> Star Wars. I didn't watch A New Hope, I watched Star Wars. Really? Yes. Well, this the, the, me, me and Colin are, are the only two people around this table <clears throat> who can say that we genuinely watched Star Wars. You see, it arrived at a bad time for me because, like, you know, I was 13 and then I was just getting into girls... And then this thing turns up. And then no girl would look at you when you embrace your fandom afterwards. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, at least you got to 13 before revealing you're in a geek. I was only four. <laughs> That's bad. Man. I have no Never chance in life. That is rough. So, episode four, written by directed by George Lucas, who at that time was a promising young filmmaker who I believe had only made THX 1138, hadn't he? Or, uh, American Graffiti. An American, American Graffiti. Well. Uh, and uh, I believe there was a young actor named Harrison Ford who turned up in these things as well, and this George Lucas would cast him in this weird little sci-fi movie he was making over in England that uh, no one at Fox could really see what he was getting up to, and he had a lot of models in there and, and, and rotoscoping. A film that no studio wanted to touch either. It's very true. You know, back, back then, you know, sci-fi had gone through its phase of the 50s and 60s, where it was big, but it turned into serious sci-fi at the start of the 70s. It did, didn't it? And then it just vanished. It was Post-2001, it went really academic sci-fi, didn't it? It went really sort of cold and logical sci-fi. So this was seen as, like, you know, cheap, dodgy sci-fi, and no, no one would be interested in this rubbish. So, Case, do you, do you want to break down the plot of, of A New Hope for us? Um, I feel that's a lot of pressure. I'll do one of the later ones. You'll do one of the later yeah. ones? You mean one of the earlier ones where we get to later? <laughs> I'll do that because it's more fun, and I can just wax a little bit how much I hate them. <laughs> okay, do you want to take the plot on this one? I'll leave that to Andy. And the, the plot of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Oh, sorry, Star Wars. It's the traditional story of good versus evil. A young farm boy is recruited by an old wise hermit who says he's got special abilities and he'll be able to take down a Dark Lord. The Dark Lord is controlling a great big fortress, which is the Death Star in this example, <laughs> and is threatening the galaxy and wanting to find out what's going on. Rebel Alliance comes into it, yada, 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 boom, explosions, spaceships. Here's a clip. 
How did my father die? A young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. He betrayed and murdered your father. Now the Jedi are all but extinct. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force. The Force? The Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us, it penetrates us, it binds the galaxy together. So good old Star Wars. Yeah, and, and you know what? It is the film you think of as Star Wars. You're absolutely right. Because I remember when you, know, when you used to get the old uh, Radio Times mag. I mean, I know it's still around. But when you used to actually have to rely on the Radio Times mag. In the, uh, the, the, the Sky Movies bit of it, you used to actually just have Star Wars. That was the title. And then they used to have The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And there was never Star Wars prefix. It was just the subtitle and that was it. It was just The Return of the Jedi and just Star Wars. And I miss those days. Simpler times. Far simpler times back then because uh, we didn't have CGI. Yes. We had, like, as Andy's points out, we had models, you know, plastic things and rotoscope and everything. And this is the thing. We've not discussed this before we started recording. We've not discussed this because how do we judge these then? Because our memories of, of, of Star Wars now are sort of coloured by the fact that when was the last time any of us saw the original versions? Uh, I've got the DVD ones, which were released for a small but amount of time. you only got them as a bonus disc with the... Yeah, the and, then, yeah. and then <laughs> took, took the special editions out of the box and just <laughs> left the original versions in there. <laughs> hey, this what, was, this what was what to protect my then? children. What happened to like, the remastered ones? <laughs> they're, they're some, they're coasters. I've no idea, and I don't care. Um, he got a dog solely so that he could use them as frisbees. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, course. I mean, touching on the special effects, I mean, you know, back then, the, the hype in the UK for this film, because it had been out since May 77, mm. and it wasn't until right at the end of the year that it came out in the West End of London before going into 78 for the main release. And we had so much hype, and one of those things of hype was those nice little ITV behind-the-scenes featurette things. Oh, Half an hour of making of, and it all focused on the practical special effects. It was all model shots and things like that. And I remember, as a young kid, wanting to see this film purely because I saw spaceships. Did you, didn't you go to the West End? Sir? I did. You? I remember you telling me. Yep, we were, we were lucky enough. At the age of four, we were down in London. Was this Earliest child of memory, this. Was this the Dominion by any chance? Pardon? Was this at the Dominion Theatre in London? I, 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 I couldn't tell you which theatre it was on. I just know that we were, were staying with relatives between Christmas and New Year in Kent. Um, my mum, big sci-fi geek herself. Um, so much now makes sense. Yeah. She <laughs> took us out to go and see a film. And she picked Star Wars because of all this excitement and hype that had been building through the year about it. So, Mr Yates, when did you first encounter The Wars? Well, I, it, I was, mean, a, it was a TV shot. And I just—it was the Tie Fighter attack, which was the same clip they always used, especially the BBC. They still do, don't they? <laughs> they do. And and I was just sat there and I'm thinking, what the hell was that? And I wanted to know more. So before you knew it, you had everything appear—magazines, posters, cheap lightsabers. But you couldn't call them lightsabers because that was trademarked. So like they were called laser swords. The ones you, then, the ones you got from the news agents. That's yeah. right. Yeah, you know, and like, it, it just exploded. They still had when I was a kid. Don't worry. Yeah, and, like, and then of course, like you saw the Fisher Price toys, and do you know, weeks I saved up for a Han Solo blaster. <laughs> Mr. Allen? Uh, my first ever experience with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I was seven, 
I remember leaving school and I was going to a friend's house for a sleepover. And um, contrary to Andy's uh, mum, my mum was not a fan of sci-fi. It just was not her bag at all. So, yeah, she she did not show me any of these kind of films. But uh, my friend Simon, his mum, or his dad in in this case, yeah, big old fan of Star Wars. And showed us this one, then showed us Empire on the Saturday and then returned on the Sunday. It was amazing. I was comfortable because, like, uh, we went and saw it at this grubby old cinema in Doncaster, which was called the Goldmont. My mother just, like, dropped us there in the car, gave us money, and said, I'll be back in two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Sorted. Ah, 1970s parenting. Same but uh, no, I was a Star Trek kid, so I, uh, I I never really discovered Star Wars until I was about eleven, and I sat and binge watched them on Sky Movies one Christmas, and uh, this it was about 1994, I think, mm. and instantly blown away and obsessed by Star Wars at that point. And I have Andy Sharp to thank for that because he sort of got me into it, and he had all the big Atat figures, and he had the full. I think he still has the full range of like 1970s, 1980s action figures that you still see at conventions and things now. But uh, I was always blown away by those. But when I saw the movies, that was oh god, my jaw on the floor time. But uh, see, you, you youngsters have it so lucky as well. well no, we... no, you say that, you <laughs> say that. But you know, when episode one rolled around, that was when you got the proper wave of merchandise. <laughs> no, um, I, on, on the aspect of like, you got to see these films, and you knew that you could rewatch it that very same day. You could just put, hmm. pop the disc back in. You could keep watching it. When we watched it. We had to wait for the hoped-for re-release at the cinema the following year to go back and revisit it. And we generally did. I still hope for that with Gravity and IMAX every year. The only way we could experience Star Wars at home was with our action figures reenacting scenes from the film. You guys could just like... Yeah, you know, they, they, you they, had it it cushy. they had it cushy. Yeah. So... We got to talk about the actors then, Star Wars. So, of course, it, you know, the, the, they became iconic sort of performers on the back of the very first Star Wars movies. You had Harrison Ford, who became, well, Harrison Ford. <laughs> I mean, he, he's arguably the big success story of Star Wars in terms of actors. Harrison, anyone's reached the sort of level of fame. No, he's definitely Ford. the most successful actor. Mark Hamill went and did My Cadillac Summer and sort of went off the rails a bit until someone figured out that he could actually do a pretty good Joker. Uh, Carrie Fisher did drop dead Fred and became a screenwriter <laughs> and then uh, didn't she do I think she did an uncredited rewrite on episode one I think I read somewhere that Carrie Fisher did a rewrite on, on Phantom Menace which is the most heartbreaking thing to discover um, also I think Last Action Hero she has a pass on as well so really uh, weird didn't she just pop up in the Blues Brothers as well she did do yeah. the Blues Brothers yes. as well um, there's a bunch oh when Harry met Sally as well she's That's in there right, yeah. so she popped up once or twice Mark Hamill just wasn't seen between like the end of Return of the Jedi and sort of starting doing voice work in the 90s there's really only sort of the late 80s and the 90s where he played the trickster in the Flash on TV that's the only time we ever really saw Mark Hamill oh that was the prankster was he the prankster I thought was no it? no he's the trickster because he's, he's back now in the TV series still yeah, as a right, yes I stand corrected and of course then you've got Peter Cushing who was the, arguably the big name star of the film wasn't he really at the time he was yeah, the, yeah, he was the main and, draw and a certain actor who played Obi-Wan Kenobi yeah. and uh, Alec Guinness. Guinness so you had yeah. one so you had one big name star who was the, the, the good guy it, mentor it was two established thefts hmm. to be oh, like the and neither the was seriousness. Really, yeah. I think was Cushing was the bigger draw because he was known for all the Hammer films, and mm-hmm. you know people just like related him. They're always playing another villain mm-hmm. again. And he had come off of I think he'd had about sixteen years of Hammer at that point. He did, yes, yes quite. So. It's about sixteen years after Frankenstein, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, yeah, so he was he was a fairly iconic performer, and of course, I would imagine fairly easy to get hold of. He probably lived about twenty minutes walk from the studio. Because <laughs> <laughs> was it Pinewood or Shepperton Star? Was it Pinewood, isn't it? Pinewood, Pinewood. So of course, we all remember it now for the special effects, and of course that story, that story which is now sort of. Even though it's kind of not the most original story, well, it, it harkens back to every myth it's of the legend. Hero's journey. Yeah, it is. I mean, literally, if you ever go back and look at the you know, the academic test, the the quest text in film theory, it is the story of Star Wars, yes. <laughs> as it were. So, uh, favorite scenes in Star Wars, everyone. Like, we'll start with Andy. Uh, it's right from the opening crawl coming up to the end credits. That's the scene. That, that's that's your favorite scene. In mind. <laughs> okay. No, it, it, it has to be scene. the Death Star attack. I mean, that is just such an amazing sequence from start to finish. It's not intercut with loads of planetary battles, which we'll get to later. Um, <laughs> it just—it's simple. It's got every aspect in there. You've got friends getting killed. You've got people taking risks. You've got daring, danger, and you've got the Force. What was the name, incidentally, of the fat pilot who was killed in the Death Star? I can never remember his name. Porkins. Porkins. <laughs> Porkins. <laughs> he was the nibsy of his day. <laughs> Mr. Yates, your favourite uh, I think it has to be the opening scene when the rebel blockade runner is trying to escape this, this huge vessel. And when it first appeared, you're thinking, how big is this thing? Until it just swallows it up and you just... The bigger one. It sets the tone for the entire series. Big is good, and it's also menacing. And that that would that would prove to be its downfall in later years. To be fair, Mister Allen, what is your favourite memory of the first Star Wars movie? Something else to do, man. All together now. You know, it's coming for canteen, man. You know, you know, we have your wedding next year. I can't help but think that the reception should have that just playing. You know, as you walk in, you just have that playing over the top of it. Well, I have discovered, Mm. and in Sheffield, there is a brass band Mm. called the Cantina Brass Band. Oh my (laughs) god! Yeah, and we're going to be playing at the Sheffield showroom at their film quiz. That that is amazing. Oh, I need need a favorite moment of my own. I'm gonna go with. uh, I don't know why. I kind of like that scene with uh, with Luke. And the two droids when, he, when they first get Leia's message, and, and and it's discovered that androids need to have a bath in oil. Not only that, Freepio enjoys it. Don't tell this is going to be feel so. Oh <laughs> yes, it feels so much yes, better. Yes. And uh, oh, we, we never mentioned the droids because they, of course, are kind of the central figures of all they the Star exist, Wars. Yes, they do. They carry the story throughout the nine chapters. They're the ones who are basically the storytellers. And it's worth knowing that if they had radio transmitters, the entire plot of the series would never have happened. It's <laughs> very true. Maybe they didn't have social media. I don't know. Very true. See, this is why there's, there's no force book. That's what it is. There we go. <laughs> Sorted. So on then, naturally enough, to what is now actually the, the first you know, fully-fledged episode, episode five, <laughs> The Empire Strikes Back. Mr. Yates, the plot, if you will, of The Empire Strikes Back. In a single sentence, the bad guy is win. <laughs> because <laughs> they literally do. And that's the whole plot, because like, you think the good guys are going to get away with it. No, they don't. It also features some snappy dialogue, some great chase scenes in spacecraft, and not forgetting the romance. Oh, I thought you were going to say Yoda, because for me... I oh, the little green guy, I was going to get to him, but I thought, nah. Who's going to be the first one to do a Yoda voice? Mm. 
Making wins. Right. So, of course, the, the plot this time around, it, it's, an, it's an undetermined amount of time after the events of New Hope. It seems to be about two... It's, I think it's, it's referred three, to as about two years. years, isn't three it? years. Yeah. And although it seems to be about like a couple of months when you're actually watching it, it feels like they've just mm. been... like they, they left at the end of the last movie. They just went to the snow planet, set up shop, and they've been sort of building the base ever since. But they've implied that, that a lot has happened. There's mm. a bounty hunter that was mentioned on Old Man Tell, so there's obviously they, been they a lot of... There's a suggestion that the rebels, since taking out the Death Star, I'm thinking, yay, we've won. The Empire stepped up its game, and the rebels have been constantly on the move. And exactly. now they're settled on Hoth, where... They are now, now being hunted by a series of probes. And of course, when the latest rebel base is discovered, the rebels have to desert. They all go their separate ways. Han and Leia find themselves forced to go on the run in the sort of half-broken-down Millennium Falcon and find themselves at the mercy of an old friend of Han's who may or may not be duplicitous. Billy D. <laughs> well, Luke goes to the Swamp Planet of Negobar. The Swamp Planet? The Swamp Planet. Where he gets trained by the Jedi who instructed Obi-Wan, who isn't Liam Neeson. We have a clip. Luke, I don't want to lose you to the Emperor the way I lost Vader. You won't. Stop, there must be. On this all depends. Only a fully trained Jedi Knight, with the Force as his ally. We'll conquer Vader and his Emperor. If you end your training now, if you choose the quick and easy path as Vader did, you will become an agent of evil. Patience. And sacrifice Han and Leia. If you honor what they fight for? Yes. If you choose to face Vader, you will do it alone. I cannot interfere. I understand. And the Empire Strikes Back. So, I think this is generally regarded, sort of, by everyone, really, as the best of the Star Wars movies, isn't it? It certainly is, because it's apparently... Not just because the good guys lose... Well, we you have, we have you said that, see. it's not just a spoiler when you say that. No. You, because it sounds like you're just saying, oh, you're at the end of the movie, they lose. They don't, they lose constantly all yeah. the way through this movie. Yeah. I like they, the film is called Vampire Strikes Back as well. It's, it it kind of yeah. tells you that. Doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. But writing is on the board. You've never seen a mainstream movie in which the good guys get their asses handed to them <laughs> as often as the heroes <laughs> of this movie do. I was so upset when that, like, the first time I saw that. Because yeah. I knew the love Lando for about, like, minute or so and then I was like oh what have you done you old space dog (laughs) (laughs) and he is so suave I I think it still sends the wrong message to this day that the first black man in the Star Wars universe turned out to be untrustworthy but uh, still he was the first proper space disco character as well that's that's what I love he can pull off a cake he can pull off a cake he really could Billy D. Williams space cake he could could pull off the fashion cape couldn't he yeah and he even had a collar he pulled that off as well Oh, yeah, yeah proper it. Dracula collar. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's good. But uh, oh, and what was his assistant who had like the, the visor on the back of his bald head? Oh, like half Lobot. Lobot, yeah. Well, this is the thing because I didn't, I, I didn't know he had a name in the movie. But and then this is something that starts to come up about the point we get to Empire Strikes Back, where George Lucas starts injecting a backstory into every single background character of this universe. So a character who may not have a single line will go on in expanded sort of secondary fiction supplemental materials and novels etc to have a whole backstory and a whole you know, it also helps with merchandising when the characters actually have names on the packaging it does so instead it? of just being generic robot bounty hunter it's IG-88 
Exactly, and this comes up an awful lot in uh, George Lucas's reign of Star Wars. I wonder if this is going to carry on now, if this is still going to be a thing. Uh, I, I think it will be. I think the merchandise that we're going to see going Well, forward, if you look at the Funko be... figures for Episode 7, they've all got the names, they've all got the serial numbers. <laughs> so there you go, history will repeat itself. <laughs> We shall, we shall, of course, see. Um, this is, of course, the most, uh, most no- one of the most notable story beats. Not the most, but one of the most notable story beats of uh, Empire Strikes Back, of course, is, as you mentioned, the uh, romance between Han Solo and Princess Leia, which becomes an iconic sort of part of the series, leading to that great line, I love you. I know. I know. <laughs> Exactly. Which was an improvisational set. It and was. a perfect improvisation. And it's literally on Case's coffee mug, as we see right now. <laughs> this, of course, isn't actually... This is written by Lucas, but not directed by Lucas. This was no, this was by... Irving Kirshner, um, who was Lucas's mentor through um, his years of studying to be a director. One, one questions when he actually learnt post-Sars. <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, also famously, this is the film that Lucas doesn't particularly like. Which is really bizarre because it is the most critically regarded, isn't it? Yeah, he, he, he had, I don't know, we're not sure what his issue is. Maybe it's the fact that everyone took to this film a lot mm. better than they've took to any of his work. But he really didn't like what Kirshner did, which is why he didn't ask him to come back. And we should, of course, because we managed to get through the whole of New Hope and not once mention John Williams' score, which, of course, no, in the first no, movie is on, mostly, yeah. mostly known for the theme and binary sunset, the first movie. But, of course, Empire Strikes Back gives birth to one of the most iconic pieces of music ever, even outside of Star Wars, the Imperial March, which has now become the musical shorthand for bad guy. This is now popped up in everything... To the likes of like Ted, it's a joke in Ted. Not forgetting Simpsons, of and course. The Simpsons and yeah. everything the Simpsons, everything like that. The, the whole of the score in Empire is fantastic. I mean, mm. one of my favourite pieces in the whole thing it is, is when it goes from the Imperial March into the asteroid chase. Absolutely yeah. brilliant pieces, like eight and a half minutes worth of music that I can without, listen to over and over again. Without a shadow of a doubt, it is the best soundtrack out of the entire saga. Without a shadow I, I can't disagree with that. But I think it's all down to the Imperial March, which is the definitive sort of piece of Star Wars. You've got the romantic uh, piece with, with uh, Han and Leia, of course, when he gets encased in yeah. carbonite, and it, it works. Everything works. It's it's like he's stepped up his it's, game and thinking, right, there's a lot more going off now. Isn't that actually referred to as the Han and Leia love theme? It that is, is, yes. Is I, title, think that's, it? I think that's the title on the soundtrack, but, if memory serves me right. And John Williams to this day is still the musician of, the oh, the sole sort of... Uh, Sole composer of all the Star Wars movies. Yeah, he's he's done uh, the new one. He's done the new one as well because he may be disqualified from uh, Oscar nominations because of so much reused material, all of which is his own. <laughs> but, uh, but fair enough. So Empire Strikes Back. We've got to talk about uh, certain iconic things. We've, t- we've touched on Billy D. Williams, who is one of the two big newcomers of the series. Uh, he, and there's only two sort of additional characters in this. In the oh, three if we count Boba Fett. Who has no lines, I don't think, in, in the movie, uh, there's, there's the line about... Um, does he actually have lines? You said you'd yes. keep him in one piece uh, when Vader's torturing. It's a radio uh, voice, isn't he? He has yeah. like a voice that comes over a crackly radio. And uh, so we've got uh, Boa Fett, who is, of course, and he's sort of an iconic figure. It's amazing them. how he became so iconic when he does very little through the films. Yeah. It is kind of true. Yeah. It, it, he's, it's, he's not it's in the third one. It's just the much. look of it, and that was the action figure that everyone wanted. Everyone wanted Boa <laughs> Fett. Because he had the coolest he's got, armor. He's got a rocket pack, 
and things on his arm and stuff like that. You didn't know what he did. The figure fired a rocket, didn't it? It was great. (laughs) (laughs) So you had Boba Fett, you had Billy Dee, and then, of course, you had Yoda, who was, you know, a puppet for most of the duration of Star Wars, was a puppet, later became a homogenised CGI homunculus, but, uh, and he was voiced by Frank Oz, wasn't he? Voiced and puppeted. Voiced and puppeted Mm. by Frank Oz, who was uh, with the Jim Henson Company, Yeah, and still is, I believe, isn't he? I believe so. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and uh, he was right from his like introduction. You know, he, he's introduced Yoda as you you, don't, you didn't expect him to be this Jedi Master. You thought it was just a swamp creature with his initial opening he's line. Away, put your weapon! I mean, you no harm. He's an irritant, isn't that yeah, the whole joke? And of it. For, for about five minutes of film, it's like you, you're just thinking, "Come on, where's this Jedi Master? Well, are you his servant or something?" And then there's the flip around. It's like. Oh, wow. Now, that's lost on audiences today because you know that Yoda was going to be great. But, you know, again, referring back to our childhood. Can, <laughs> uh, can, can we touch on, on the retroactive continuity error that Empire Strikes Back opens up? Uh, you must go to the Dagobah system. There you will be trained by Yoda, the Jedi Master who trained me. Wait, wait, wait a minute. No, he didn't. I've, I've, I've seen episode one. <laughs> Liam Neeson trained you. Can we get well, to, can we get to all the problems that the prequels created with the original trilogy when we get to the prequels? I yeah. created C-3PO. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course... Um, I don't recall owning any droids. Yeah, really? <laughs> you didn't own them. You just used them a hell of a lot. But, uh, of course, we have to, uh, we have to end Empire Strikes Back, though, by discussing one of cinema's great cliffhangers. Which was, of course, I am your father. <laughs> That's impossible. <laughs> so, um, did you know going when the first time you saw no. it? Did anyone ruin it for you? Well, no, we didn't have t- Tinterweb back then to ruin things. You didn't let any kids at school tell you or anything like that. You didn't no. need the internet. You only needed a bookshop that stopped the novel <laughs> a week before it came out, and then some <laughs> person would tell you, "Look at this paragraph." Oh, thanks for that. You've just ruined the entire film for me. Just what I was going to say, so you had it ruined for you. Yes, I had it ruined because like somebody decided they were clever, they could afford to buy the novel <laughs> and show it off to everybody. So, Case, did you know before you saw the film? I did not know, and like I said earlier, I was like seven, so uh, my kind of uh, cinematic and technical skills were not up to scratch. Well, thanks to just pop culture in general, I knew... Right, but that's only because of things like The Simpsons and things like yeah, that. You, it's such an yeah. iconic part of cinema lore that you just kind of know. I, mean, I don't think a kid's ever going to be born that sees Empire Strikes Back without knowing. To be honest, well, unless you show them when they're like toddlers, yeah. in which case they, they might have a chance. Of My that. kids didn't know until they watched Empire. Did they not? Because the, they weren't aware of the prequels. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing as well. Because if you go, if you watch, if you watch them in, in the order like the. Blu-ray box that comes where you've got episode one, episode two, episode three. Yeah. That, that cliffhanger has no punch. Yeah, what? It's no impact. It doesn't need it, to be there. No, it, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a completely numb cliffhanger. Well, it just kind of shows what George turned into. Yeah. <laughs> a monster. <laughs> so, of course, we were saying about how, uh, you know, the prequels opened up that plot, that continuity era with the whole who trained Obi-Wan. But there is, of course, another little weird part which George Lucas created himself at the time, and it specifically involves romance and Leia. Yeah, which yeah. Um, actually comes more into play on Jedi. It uh, does, when... we should touch on it now, because in, in, in Empire we see Leia and, and Han get together, but there is a sort of a, an attempted rivalry between uh, Han and Luke for... Uh, Basically, for Leia, Leia, in order to you know wind Han up, sticks a tongue down Luke's throat, and then Luke sprawls back with his hands behind his head, looking like pleased as punch. 
Yeah, and but that's for snogging his sister. And that's after they've had a, that's after they've had a smooch episode four Awkward. as well. And you think, okay, if you had this storyline mapped out in advance, how how do you explain that one? And and what was it a practical joke for Obi Wan's to not actually let Luke in on this little guy? Well, on a, like first film, hmm. he lets Luke fantasize about Leia throughout that film <laughs> without saying you really shouldn't, dude. <laughs> it's not that we don't know. But how then long. again, you, you are talking about the Jedi Master who went, "Oh, this is your father's lightsaber." He wanted you to have it. Oh, when did he say that? When you left him burning to death? Yeah. <laughs> Please have have this lightsaber. It was your father's. He murdered several dozen children with it. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm not telling you where this has been or what it's been used for. It's very true. <laughs> they, he, they've seen footage of him killing younglings. <laughs> oh, no. You can't wait to talk about those prequels. I can't, I can't wait to talk about those prequels. I've been bottling up so much animosity for years towards the prequels. But no. The Empire Strikes Back Empire. ends with that bombshell, doesn't it? it? It's such a bombshell. I mean, it, it's one of the things that makes this film such a timeless, great and it makes it stand out in the whole trilogy. And, you know, not only has it got some of the best action sequences from the Hoth Assault with the Atats. How great are the Atats? They're oh, like yeah. metal dogs. They're fantastic. To the asteroid chase, to the light, first lightsaber clash between Luke and Vader, which goes terribly wrong for Luke. Which is beautifully shot as well, that one. That yes. In the darkness with the lightsabers and the, and the, the fires. And, I love them. Well, they're not really fires. They're industrial sort of furnace things, aren't they? And, and they, even, they even wrote the fact that uh, Mark Hamill had give himself a facial injury in a car crash um, by having him getting um, abducted by the Wampa on Hoth and having his face scarred. <laughs> and of course, this did give birth to uh, one of my favourite lines of the whole franchise, which was, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> and on then to the last of the original Star Wars trilogy then, with episode six. Return of the Jedi. Mr. Allen, the plot of Return of the Jedi, if you will. Okay, so if the second one is where the bad guys win, the third one is where everything wraps up for our heroes. Billy D gets some kind of redemption. He does, he gets to be a hero this time. Yeah, which is great, because Duke can rock a cape, as we've said. Um, <laughs> does, he, does he get a cape in this one? No, not, not this one, but... No, but he has, a, he has a cool helmet in Jabba's throne room that he pulls he, down to just go, oh, hey, yeah. look, here's yeah, He has his, like, rhino <laughs> teeth helmet, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh, that guy's so pretty. One of the things I really love about this, one, this begins with, like, a sort of what feels like a half an hour long sort of uh, mini storyline to wrap up the events of the last film, mm. where you have a captured Han Solo who's been recovered by... who's mounted on a wall, having been hunted down by, by Boba Fett on behalf of Jabba the Hutt, and all of the heroes descend upon Jabba's palace to rescue him. And this turns into them getting captured and having to all free themselves. And, of course, we get the introduction of the Rancor Pit, yeah. which is just awesome. Is the, the Rancor is the beast in the, in the <coughs> basement. It is, yes. Yeah. And it's the one the, that has an appetite for dancing girls. And then there's the Sarlacc. Sarlacc, which is in the desert. In the yeah. desert with the... Yeah, it makes quite short okay. work. Which <laughs> takes uh, a long time digesting food, apparently. It does. Enough time for you to apparently survive, escape, and have a whole line of spin-off novels all to yourself if you're Boba Fett. Well, he has got a, a whole armour toolkit yeah, yeah, on his, do. like, thigh, I believe. His, his so toolkit is from the Predators. Of course he can repair his rocket pack and get out before he gets digested. Who'd win the fight between Boba Fett and the Predator? That's what I want to know. Because they've got, like, the same outfit, really. I, I think they'd just end up, you know, shaking hands and go for a drink. <laughs> I'm still watch that. I'm watching. Yeah, I paid good money to see that. So, of course, having escaped Tatooine and rescued Han, it's then off to you know what? We have to resolve everything else. So, yeah. namely, 
another Death Star. We have a, a mostly completed Death, Death Star, Star, which orbits a planet of space teddies, uh, <laughs> known as the Ewoks. I wish all I'd of gone with the original idea for that, which would have been Wookiees. Wookiees. Yeah. But all the Ewoks seem to be played by Warwick Davis. <laughs> <laughs> or at least one is, because this seemed to make his, this made his career, didn't it? It's made oh, well, Warwick Davis' entire pretty career. Much, yeah. And of, and of course, our heroes have to infiltrate the, pl- the forest planet of Endor, destroy the shield generator, and then, t- and then take out the Death Star as well. So here's a clip. He's my father. Your father? There's more. It won't be easy for you to hear it, but you must. If I don't make it back, you're the only hope for the Alliance. Luke, don't talk that way. You have a power I I don't understand and could never have. You're wrong, Leia. You have that power, too. In time, you'll learn to use it as I have. The Force is strong in my family. My father has it. I have it. And my sister... Last of the original trilogy. Well, barrel of last. Fun for the whole family. It's got uh, a little bit of awkwardness in the uh, Han and Leia relationship. It's got Luke embracing his uh, his Jedi heritage and trying to redeem Darth Vader because, well, he's his dad. There's really no reason given other than that you're my dad, therefore you must automatically be good at heart. And this movie finally introduces, even though he sort of cameoed in Empire finally introduces the big bad of the whole saga, who is, of course, Emperor Palpatine. Or at least the Emperor. He's not really called Palpatine until the prequels, for some reason. Played by Ian McDiarmid, who will, of course, later come back to play a younger version of his own character. Uh, That's really it. There's no other new characters in this one. There's just the Emperor. There is, of course, a brief background reappearance of the Atats, which I know you love (laughs) so much. You say there's no new characters, but... But Take away the special ones. editions. The, this was the first time we saw Jabba. That is true, actually. Jabba the Hutt is a new character in this one. And he, his he was mentioned movies. in the first Star Wars, but mm. you never got to see him. He is briefly mentioned in the, in Empire as well. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's the overlying theme is that Han's got to get this money back to Jabba, uh, Jabba because um, he dumped cargo. Yes, that's the idea. He has a debt, he dumped cargo, he has to go and pay him back, a bounty is in place on his head as a result. That's very true. So, we get to we get to meet Jabba for the first time, we get to meet the Emperor for the first, well, both of them for the first and last time, <laughs> sort of, co- continuity-wise. Yeah. <laughs> but this is regarded by a lot of people, back when this was just a trilogy, this was regarded as the weak link, this was regarded as where it all sort of went wrong. So, when I was a kid, mm. I was over this like a rash. I love this film. But this is the one that as you get older, you start to realise the problems, and the pr- biggest problem is Ewoks. Kind of is, isn't it? It's like I like Colin pick it up here. Yeah, let's say Ewoks taking out well trained, well armoured, <laughs> well armed Imperial stormtroopers. Not forgetting, of course, scout walkers. And I'm thinking, oh, hold on! All of a sudden, the Ewoks have have started as like power back, and then suddenly turning into the Avengers. Well, they they did say. Well, Lucas did say, didn't it? That it was intended to be a, a representation of the Viet Cong and how they took down the they they used guerrilla tactics, take down the more militarized and heavily armored Western forces. Yeah, they're, they're space tanks, George. That, as a retailer in science fiction merchandise, 
That is the biggest load of rubbish I've ever heard. And I'm being polite there. It's, it's just basically, I want to sell more merch because I own all the rights to it for this trilogy. Well, Come on, George. Didn't, didn't he own 99% of the rights and Alec Guinness's estate had the other one? <laughs> yeah, that sounds yeah. that, that sound right. Yeah. We never mentioned that either, actually, did we? Because Alec Guinness, turned, I think he did he turn down a salary and just said, I will take 1% of the profits yeah. of the merchandise That's a smart man. For, for episode four. Wow, what a visionary. <laughs> the Guinness family are never going to need to worry about paying their rent. But, uh, of course, when you get to Jedi, then all of a sudden the merchandise line explodes because there's a whole Ewok Village playset to sell as well. And the Jabba's Throne Room with all the various bounty hunters and scum and villainy that populate it. Every one of them has a name. You could even buy the set of the Max Rebo band. Oh I wanted that set so much. I don't know what I was going to do with it. They'll just be sat in the background while you're reenacting <laughs> things in front of them. But I wanted it because it looked cool. Max Rebo. It's, it's, it's <laughs> tempting to just forget about Max Rebo entirely. But who doesn't love a blue elephant? <laughs> <laughs> who can play some? You know, who's pretty good with a keyboard? Did he have a 360 degree yeah, keyboard? He did, yeah, degree Even Jean Michel Jarre doesn't own one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Try beating that, Jamie Cullum. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, Case, any thoughts on Jedi, then? Yeah, it's alright. <laughs> <laughs> it's had a really great battle scene at the end. Do you it know what it did? I don't know what else to add that hasn't been said other than the Ewoks are just kind of a weak link for me. And oh, I'll they tell are, you yes. There, there is a character introduced in Jedi that we have forgotten to acknowledge, and he's, he's for me, the, the worst character in the entire Star Wars saga, and I, I, I am putting him above Anakin Skywalker on my hate list. Is it Lando's co-pilot, Nyub Nyub? Uh, well, no, no, there is Nyub Nyub, <laughs> uh, but I'm thinking of Admiral Ekbar. I knew you were going to say that. Goldfish head himself, Admiral Ackbar. It's a trap! It's a trap! I think the best character out of them all, out of minor characters, is the Imperial officer who collars them when they try to take out the shield generator. You <laughs> rebel scum! <laughs> yeah, that guy really disliked rebels. He like, does, like yeah. He just guy. came out and just had it in for him straight away, you know. I just like to, like Maybe to imagine... Maybe he blast her around. Well, you know those have been deleted scenes popping up lately that have never been seen before. I just like to imagine that there is a version of that scene. You rebel scum. Whoa! That's a little personal. And yet the actor makes a fortune at appearances. He just turns up, says that, the whole crowd goes, this is this is God's honest truth. He, he's, he's, it's his first time I did it. I just stood in front of him, recited the line, and he says, I was deaf for five minutes afterwards with all the cheering. Something to that effect. And, and like, well, just for one line and being threatening. It's like the real world equivalent of never give up, never surrender. <laughs> it? <laughs> it is, it is. But, uh, so of course, this this ends with, you know, the great lightsaber fight. Well, the second great lightsaber fight, really. Which is between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. And sort of the Emperor as well, to an extent. That he just kind of hangs back. Whilst well, the Ewoks kind of, like, detract from it. I mean, the, the assault on the Death Star, we've already seen that done before, so whilst it was a spectacular, it was nothing new, but this internal struggle, and not only like between the three of them, but Luke's own internal struggle as he's trying to resist turning bad, whilst Vader is going to flip the other way. Absolutely brilliantly played out by everyone involved, and it's just such a great moment when Luke like finally gives in to his feelings and goes to swipe at the Emperor, and Vader blocks it, and thus it's begins also- a great fight. 
It's also the first time, and Vader and Luke, and that whole the whole thing, the whole dynamic of you know, I want to turn my dad back to the light side, uh, is also the first time that we really get a hint that there is actually more to the culture of Star Wars than we're than we're ever actually shown, and you get that through moments like uh, uh, Darth Vader, you know, having captured Luke Skywalker, says, "Oh, I see you have constructed a new lightsaber. Your training is clearly complete." Like, yeah, so there's a whole moment where you know he would have had to have learned how to make it. That's awesome. I want to see that. <laughs> but that's probably a prequel book in its own right. <laughs> Just literally how to build a lightsaber. How to build a lightsaber. But uh, apparently it's crystals. Like, yes. There's a it's crystal. All, it, it, it depends how you construct and how you put the crystals all together. It's, every lightsaber is supposed to be unique to its user. And only Samuel L. Jackson knows where they keep the purple crystals. Yep. This is true. This is, this is absolutely true. But uh, so, Return of the Jedi ends with uh, not a whimper but a bang, and then if you watch the CG enhanced special edition, it ends with seventeen bangs <laughs> and the sudden appearance of Hayden Christensen. Yeah, yeah, we need to talk about this because Star Wars has the motif of Jedi ghosts, yeah. and there was, of course, famous. Who was the original actor who played? I thought Anakin he was Tower? better, whoever it was. He was awesome. It's I a middle-aged him. guy uh, who yeah. appears at the end of Return of the Jedi, along with Alec Guinness and Yoda, uh, who, of course, we should mention, died, of course, during the during the events of Return of the Jedi, early on in Return of the Jedi, and they appear as spirits at the end. But in the remastered version, An- uh, Anakin Skywalker is suddenly Hayden Christensen. And yet his, Obi-Wan uh, isn't Ewan McGregor. And yes, it's weird, that, isn't yeah. it? It's like you can choose <laughs> what age to be. And, also, and he chooses to be a whiny brat. Y- yeah. Like, why would you want to be Hayden Christensen? I'm going to be a forever? whiny brat in the afterlife. I'm pretty sure even Hayden Christensen doesn't want to be Hayden Christensen forever. Yeah. Now it gets fun because we're on to the prequels. Yay! Oh right. dear. So this this is now we're now moving into the, onto the cusp of the 21st century as we flash to was it July 1999? Was it? It was July, wasn't it? July 1999 with. Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, which was, at the time, pretty much the biggest thing in the world ever. It was a film so steeped in hype, this thing made the cover of Time magazine before it had even been released. And I remember, because that was how I saw my first snippet of it, <laughs> was through Time magazine. Because, yeah, yeah, at 16 I read Time magazine. So and not forgetting the merchandise. And all the merchandise. And, it was, and this is the first time that Star Wars became an actual merchandising event. Because even here in Sheffield, we had an actual event in Meadowhall where you, they actually unveiled the merchandise for the first time and sold it. And I turned up and bought Darth Maul's lightsaber, which I still own to this day. <laughs> and it's amazing. It locks and everything. You spin it open. It's amazing. But... Alas, Darth Maul himself was not quite as cool as the trailers led us to believe. So, episode one, I'm going to take the plot on this one. So, uh, this is the the, the movie in which um, a trade dispute has arisen between the evil Trade Federation and the people of Naboo, a relatively peaceful, sort of gentrified, very white planet, which has a race of, like, space frogs living on it as well, strangely, which includes Jar Jar Binks whom we will get into later. Anyway, so, because of this trade dispute, the Trade Federation have uh, formed a blockade of the planet Naboo, so to prevent ships going in and out, and the Galactic Chancellor, who at this point is played by Terrence Stamp, secretly dispatches two Jedi Knights to, and this is the exact quote of the opening title call, investigate the blockade. Now, 
I'm going to get to that in a moment as well, because I've got issues with that. Uh, they quickly discover, however, that uh, something else is going on behind the scenes. There's more to this trade dispute than we've been led to believe, and a vast intergalactic conspiracy is afoot. Here's a clip. I have a bad feeling about this. I don't sense anything. It's not about the mission, Master. It's something elsewhere. Elusive. Don't center on your anxieties, Obi-Wan. Keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. But Master Yoda said I should be mindful of the future. But not at the expense of the moment. Be mindful of the living force, young Padawan. Yes, Master. How do you think this trade viceroy will deal with the Chancellor's demands? These Federation types are cowards. The negotiations will be short. First and foremost, um, I have this question for you before we get on to how truly dreadful Episode 1 was. Um, how do you investigate a blockade? Do you... you, you Look, kind of, there's yeah. a blockade over there. <laughs> That's it. You show up. Right, let's report back. Yeah. You show up. You're, oh, look, there is a blockade. All right, let's yeah, go. Jump it's not a very good blockade, is it? Because people are hopping to and from the planet throughout the film. Y- yeah, yeah it's, it, it's the least efficient blockade you've ever seen. It's and one space station. What is the importance of Naboo? It's never revealed. I still don't get why it was so important that Naboo could sort out this whole trade negotiations. Maybe it was some bizarre tourist trap. I, I don't know, but... They made the merchandise there. That, that's what it was. This is where, Nailed where, it. This is where Lucas had his factory. Um, so before we, before we start tearing into ribbons, which I know we are all very, very eager to do, and if, of all the six movies, this is the one that is going to get torn to pieces savagely. We should talk about it on, on, a, on a genuine critical level. First of all, this is appallingly written. This is... What, what is this? I mean, to be fair... The Star Wars films in general have been appallingly written. But, There's yeah. always been problems with dialogue. Yeah, I, the I the difference was... Yeah, but the pacing with this. The difference was Lucas didn't have anyone helping him through yeah. any of this. this he is did all this. this was a one-man effort. Hmm. Uh, Script-wise, direction-wise, there was no real advisors there to rein him in and tell him, that doesn't work. Oh, no, that there was, doesn't there was Rick, what's his name? <laughs> his, his yes man? Yeah. Whatever happened to that guy? Uh, he stopped saying yes when... Um, what, what was his name? Advice. His name was Rick something. <laughs> can, can one of you look this up? Who, Rick, Rick, who... Every time there was any kind of Star Wars promotion, there was always producer Rick. And producer Rick would always show up in his in his jumper and, and shirt collar combo to as tell As the him, voice of Lucas. As the voice of Lucas, because Lucas apparently couldn't be bothered. He just sent producer Rick. Yeah. And producer Rick would tell you how amazing and imaginative everything was. And you had to imagine that every time Lucas suggested something increasingly stupid, that producer Rick just went, you know what, George, that is an amazing idea. You are such a visionary, and I'm glad I know you. That's because he had money to bathe in. <laughs> he literally, every time that he he said, literally had money Every time he, he complimented him. Is his name Rick McCallum? That is That's it. Producer one. Rick McCallum. I, I just typed in Star Wars producer Rick. That's there, there came I, I just have I images think... of every time that he says, yes, George, yeah, absolutely right, Lucas had a pile of notes and went, make it rain! <laughs> make it rain! <laughs> so, <laughs> <CGI. laughs> going Sticking with the writing, then, you've got a plot that's all over the place. Um, there's no coherence to the plot of episode one whatsoever. It... It starts out as a movie about taxation and, and sanctions, and then becomes this sort of Lawrence of Arabia, free the slaves kind of tale, with a little bit of Cadillac racing in there as well. And then it becomes a political thriller for about ten minutes, and then it becomes a Star Wars movie for 
about 20 minutes well, for, and then it's over for a quarter of that 20 minutes because it's like four action sequences into space of which one of them is really good but every now and then it cuts to Jake Lloyd and you go <laughs> and let's get on to Jake Lloyd as we talk about the dialogue because the dialogue the dialogue through the movie is terrible and none of the actors and we're talking about a great cast we're talking about an amazing cast Hugh McGregor Hugh McGregor Liam Neeson and bear in mind these are, these are before they are the actors we know them to be so this is Hugh McGregor immediately post Trainspotting yeah. so the only film he'd done between Trainspotting and this was a life less ordinary which is a very underrated film anyway but so you know Shallow Grave Trainspotting Life Less Ordinary Star Wars and he's awful in it and you think well it's not because he can't act because we know he can at this point Liam Neeson you know who's just come off like Rob Roy and Michael Collins films like that Schindler's List Schindler's List six years before (laughs) didn't you have an Oscar for Schindler's List Uh, Oscar nom yeah an Oscar nom for Schindler's List we know Liam Neeson can act Natalie Portman has come off of Leon you know, she's the most promising young actress of her generation. And there are things I cannot do. I will tell your vice right. Oh, Jesus, please, Natalie, please stop. And then, of course, there's Jake Lloyd. Golly! <laughs> Yippee! Yippee! <laughs> With the most offensive haircut in movie oh, history. Good Lord. And he hates the film now. Because he hates being recognised now, because he finds it embarrassing. Oh, is that why he gets drunk and crashes into... No, apparently he got bullied all the way through school afterwards. And he said, well, I'm not terribly surprising. Probably because, you know, these kids queued up to see the film and they were let down by it. He He wasn't bullied by the kids, it was the teachers. (laughs) 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 You threw my child Skywalker. (laughs) 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 No homework today, kids, except you, Skywalker. (laughs) That was his high school experience. So, midi-chlorians. Oh, and we have to mention midi-chlorians because, god damn, midi-chlorians. So the Force, which is, you know, the, 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 where the Jedi draw their power from, which is a living force which surrounds, which is a force that surrounds all living things and keeps the universe in balance, is now something you can genetically test for. What is that? It, it, may, it was a, a pointless explanation for something that didn't need to be explained. It's basically Lucas went, oh, well, now we can say where the Force came from. You don't need to. We're, we're quite happy with it being, like, mystic. We're quite happy <laughs> with it being, like, yeah. you know, a, an energy godlike presence throughout the galaxy. We don't need it, scientific reasoning. Yeah, I was just about to say, oh, let's make it a bit science fiction even though it isn't. Star Wars is not science fiction. Oh, it's it not. Is, it's fantasy. It's, it is science fantasy. Because mm. by this basis now, you can just, um, you know, it, enhance someone else's midichlorian count and turn them into a Jedi. But effectively, yeah. I will say this though: having rewatched, obviously, in the run up to this, um, I, I I was amazed within the first sort of ten minutes of episode one. There are moments in that in that first sort of you know Liam Neeson, Ewan Gregor on the on the star station mm. thing, um, finding all the droids. We think, okay, I can see now why sixteen years ago I was so excited by this because there are there is some great stuff in there. But it very, very quickly gets cast aside. And it literally gets cast aside by Jar Jar. Uh, and with the introduction yeah. of Jar Jar, which is about 10 or 12 minutes into this film. Right. And it is so... But I put it this way, the fact, that, the fact that Michael Jackson wanted this role, you can't <laughs> help but think, if Michael Jackson had actually had the role, it wouldn't have been any better or worse. <laughs> it would have pretty much played the same because the character is terrible. Do you know what's alarming about it? Women loved him. Right, My ex-wife did. And I'm thinking, why? 
You know, there's no appealing. He's, he's not. He's, none of them's got character or I charisma. So not to lump you in with George Lucas. <laughs> but as I was telling you, Andy, I was reading an article today, and he was saying that apparently women and children love Jar Jar. I've met women and children, but do not love Jar Jar, and he shouldn't just be lumping now, people into just saying. Oh, yeah. This this leads me to the final point I want to discuss in episode one, and this is because the backlash against Jar Jar was so that George Lucas had to then, and this this was a thing at the time. You may well remember this. At the time, George Lucas did interviews in which he said, "No, people don't seem to realise." The Star Wars movies were always for kids. It's just that those kids have now grown up to become adults, and those adults want adult Star Wars movies. They can't have them, because the Star Wars movies have always been for kids. People didn't like the droids in the first one. They didn't like Yoda in the second. They didn't like Ewoks in the fourth. Of course they don't like Jar Jar. That's just people. They'll like him fine next time. And you think, okay, that's all well and good that you want to make a kid's movie. Why have you made a kid's movie about taxation and trade blockades? (laughs) Because I have never met a child <laughs> who would genuinely be interested. My kids do my accounts all the time. Do they? Which is probably why I'm in financial dire straits. Because they aren't your kids uh, sage qualified. <laughs> Dad, there's a blockade. <laughs> and I go and investigate it. <laughs> there's another point about. Go and investigate it, I want you home in half an hour. Yeah. There's another point about the plot line that this nagged me right from the very first watch of the Phantom Menace. The Jedi Council have this discussion about the, the foretold one who will bring balance to the galaxy, balance to the force. Mm-hmm. They seem to forget the fact that they're living in an era of peace. What would be balance to the force in an era of peace? That's true, isn't it? What would be the point? They are supposed to be the wisest of the Jedi Council and they don't realise that that means that Anakin's going to be evil. It's very true. Yeah, it, it, Actually, the writing is on the wall with that. I've never considered that. Yeah, <laughs> the writing were everywhere in this film. But my thing as well was uh, there is a moment you know they get to uh, Coruscant, which I will say by the way, visually very impressive. Now uh, that's the only thing you can say about this film; it looks pretty. Yeah, Coruscant. Coruscant looks amazing. The pod race actually is visually very impressive. I do like the pod race, although it is just annoyingly cartoony, particularly when they get Greg Proops to turn up and voice the uh, commentator. (laughs) It's like wacky races gone wrong. Did you never know that? Did you not know that the the commentator of the race, Greg Proops? I watched that film like three days ago, and I just. (laughs) <laughs> oh my it's god, gone. it's Skywalker! <laughs> and let's, not, so let's not forget the appearance of Jabba at the race, yeah, which, then, yeah. which then makes it go, hang on, Jabba was big at the time of Phantom Menace, but when we saw him in the special edition version of Star Wars, he'd shrunk down to the same size as Han Solo. Let's, let's not go But then. then he grew again? What, did he go through salt? And then there's the E.T. cameo, and the, the, the E.T. apparently is yeah, one of the races. Yeah, yeah in the council chamber, chamber. yeah. But um, just I mean, before we start, before we wrap up, um, there is, let's say, when they first get to Coruscant, the bit that really annoys me is that Liam Neeson simply turns to the Chancellor of the planet, who effectively is the Obama of the Star Wars universe, the supreme ruler, and says, I need to meet with the council immediately. And you think, all right, Chuck, <laughs> either send him an email, book an appointment, or what? He's the Chancellor, he's not your freaking secretary, what the hell is this? So I need to meet with the council. Why don't you call him then? <laughs> Why are you asking the ruler of the galaxy? <laughs> Calm down, Rob Roy. <laughs> Just call your horses. <laughs> yeah, call your jets, Rob Roy. <laughs> Come on, Schindler. <laughs> this ain't my job. <laughs> the hype for this film focused a lot on Darth Maul. He and did, what yeah. a cool character. I mean, even in the film, Darth Maul is still a cool character, but severely underused. Mm. Mm. And he's one of the villains that... that 
they should have kept him for an ongoing villain through the whole of the very much would surgery. have been yes yeah. I agreed actually it is weird now when you watch it back though uh, when he's th- that one time that he speaks and it's the voice of Peter Serafinowicz yeah. that it just doesn't fit at, at all like you think actually Brian Butterfield it is at last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi at last we will have our revenge ok one final thing then before we all sort of round up with our favourite moments of it um the trailer for episode one. I actually went and rewatched this um, this week as part of a point I was trying to make about hey, remember when episode one came out and had great trailers? And yeah, the same way that Force Awakens is at the moment, and the hype that's around Force Awakens, people seem to forget we've been here. We were here 16 years ago. So I went back and I watched the trailer for Star Wars episode one. And I made two notes. One, it's weird how the trailer tries to paint this picture. It's all about Anakin. Well, I've seen the film, and no, it isn't. Anakin's like a bit part, bit part player, next to Ewan McGregor's really great Obi Wan impression. It's his <laughs> Alec Guinness impersonation. <laughs> Don't defy the council, master. Not again. And and then of course there is the fact that the trailer itself is really poorly made, like really badly edited. Like incredible. You you would you would you would laugh at this now if you saw it in a cinema screen. It really was a really badly put together trailer. But, uh, so, favourite moments of Star Wars Episode 1, Case? Um, I think uh, Duel of the Fates, that music. Well, oh, yeah. 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 But that is definitely my favourite part. Do you notice that when they cut away from that, they drop Duel of the Fates as well? And then yeah. they bring it back. <laughs> it's like, no, no, we save the good music for the mm. good bits. So, Colin? The end. <laughs> <laughs> what, where, where Boss Nass holds up the space orb? No, just when the film did I, I didn't Don even Lewis. wait for the credits to roll, I walked out. <laughs> And yet I had to go back there a week later. <laughs> Mr. Bacon. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Star Wars, and that's as far. Because from that point onwards it went downhill. Right, just interestingly enough, you know when you sat in the cinema for the first time and it, and it got to that bit where it says in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far, did you get the tingles? My heart was in my mouth. Yeah. The same yeah, as so, my, yeah, I'll have to admit. Yeah. The same as yeah. we yeah. discussed uh, when we did that fabled um, Superman one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as soon as that, as soon as that theme tune started yeah. up, Heart was in your mouth, tears were ready to yes, come out I your remember. eyes. You, you, you were reliving yes. your childhood. That was the same with this. It's just that this time around, it was like then someone took a hammer to the back of your head and kept bludgeoning it. It's, it's very true. Um, I I actually think the, um, the, the the sequence in which Darth Maul attacks Liam Neeson on on tattooing that's kind of cool. Little 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 yeah, they, they have like a brief thing. Yeah. I also like how Liam Neeson just casually sort of backwards leaps, <laughs> backwards <laughs> leaps onto his spaceship. And you're like, yeah, they didn't need cool. special effects for that either. That was just that, that Liam Neeson doing it. Pure Neeson. That's how we got the taken. Yeah. So episode two beckons. Attack of the Clones. So this this was one where you, if you knew your Star Wars lore, which you should have after about four films, uh, we'd heard the Clone Wars referred to. We knew the story had to go in a second a certain way. We needed to get to the Clone Wars, which was evidently the first stage of the rise of the Empire. This is how the the, the new world order came to be. So. When they said we're going to do Attack of the Clones as the next one, I think we all went in with fairly high expectations, didn't we? Well, Um, I remember hoping beyond hope that what I'd seen in The Phantom Menace was a blip and that this was where it was going to improve. Now, I've read the same interview that you were talking about. I had a skim through it earlier on. And um, Lucas gave the warning signs in that interview just after Phantom Menace came out because he said it's going to be a love story. Yes, there was. But everyone missed that because the trailers went for all these shots of what looks like the 
pre-runner of stormtroopers shooting things. Kind of, yeah. Someone who looks like Jan- uh, Boba Fett, who we learned was Jango Fett. <laughs> Um, fighting <laughs> Obi Wan in a rain in the rain on top of like something in the lake or something, we saw great action sequences in the trailer, and so we started to think, hang on, maybe he's got rid of this Trade Federation rubbish and all these badly racial stereotypes. On which note, let's do the plot then. Do you, do you want to do the plot? I'll let you do the plot. You do these ones so well for the prequels. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there, so, was, there was a plot. There was, there was a plot. allegedly. Yeah. yeah. There, when, there was an assassination attempt made on Senator Amidala, formerly Queen Amidala, because apparently teenagers can be queens despite not being born into royalty and having been elected. They're still queens. Uh, so, Senator Amidala, as she is now known, is uh, was narrowly survives an attempt on her life, and uh, two Je- the two Jedi who protected her in the first movie are assigned to do so all over again, as well as find the potential assassin. So, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and a now 18-year-old, I think he's meant 18 to 20-year-old uh, Anakin Skywalker, whom we will get to in a moment, um, decide to go their separate way so that Anakin can watch over uh, Amidala, whilst Obi-Wan goes on the hunt for the assassin. His hunt taking him all the way to the planet of, I forget the name of it now, where they happen to make clones, which apparently is a profession, you just can make clones, um, and finds that he has stumbled upon a secret clone army being made for the Republic for reasons that don't make any sense, but apparently are useful later and no one then thinks anything of using them. Meanwhile, Anakin's attempt to uh, protect Amidala sees him return home in an attempt to rescue his mother, whom he left behind in the first movie, with his own dark side emerging along the way. Here's a clip. You're not all powerful. Well, I should be. Someday I will be. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. I promise you. I will even learn to stop people from dying. Anakin. It's all Obi-Wan's fault. He's jealous. He's holding me back. What's wrong, Annie? I... I killed them. I killed them all. They're dead. Every single one of them. And not just the men, but the women and the children, too. They're like animals, and I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them! And introducing Hayden Christensen, ladies and gentlemen. Everyone's favorite mannequin Skywalker. Yeah, this is where it all went really. Like episode one was bad, but when Hayden turned up, wow! Thing is, you can't really blame Hayden. No more than you can blame. I, I know you're with you me on this one, but in Shattered Glass, he's great. He's absolutely brilliant. He's great in there. And then you get—I mean, I can even tolerate him in Looper, for instance. Yeah, like, like yeah. his one attempt to you know do something <laughs> outside of Star Wars. Okay, fair enough. He did, and he did get top billing in a Nicolas Cage movie. I was going to say, are you forgetting about Outcast? I'm not forgetting about Outcast. He did get top billing in a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> what brings you here, lad? What's <laughs> up, you know? lad? But uh, this is the thing, because at one point, this role was going to be given to James Vanderbeek, it was going to be given to Ryan Felipe, yeah. and then this unknown Canadian actor, 
Hayden Christensen turned up and we all thought, you know what, physically he looks the part, why not? Even though he has that weird little braid thing that <laughs> never really makes a whole... The Jedi braid? The Jedi it's, braid just looks really weak it's, on him. It's an unexplained nonsensity. But within about ten minutes of Attack of the Clones, about a minute after you've gotten all the action scenes out of the way, all of a sudden you start to see where this is going. It's not fair! <laughs> oh no. Oh no, it's Luke. It, it's, might as well have just Luke cast Harry Enfield. You, you really could have. <laughs> it's so unfair. I now, hate you. In credit to Attack of the Clones, I actually think about the first hour is really good. I do think the first hour of Attack of the Clones is actually really good. Parts of it. I like the the whole assassination and the attempt to find the assassin in the first sort of ten minutes, the chase through Coruscant. I uh, like well, that. We're talking investigations again, yeah. but this time and it's then, a proper investigation. Exactly. And I like Obi-Wan doing the Philip Marlowe thing. I really like that. that the whole detective work is really... I don't like the space diner, which no. is... What, the guy with four arms? Yeah, that yeah. is... That, and they've got space waitresses uh, who, who talk like, you know, Atlantic diner waitresses. <laughs> and it's it's really depressing. Um, yeah. And also, let's, let's just say that certain administrative practices of the Jedi don't make a whole heap of sense after this film. Because I still to this day can't figure out what a Jedi does. Are they space cops? Are they space monk cops? Are they just space monks? I don't know. Are they UN space peacekeepers? Monks. Oh, space monks. No, good. they they never sort of really clarify. They're just there. Maybe they're you know. Because this is the thing as well. The Republic, as it says, doesn't have an army. Hence, they get the clone army. So, what are the Jedi then? Because I thought the Jedi were the defensive arm of the, the Republic. No, they're just a bunch of people who sit round in council chambers talking to Yoda. And apparently mm. can only be summoned by the Chancellor. Yeah. And apparently some have very strangely shaped heads. This is very true. But and the one with the really long neck. Didn't you just want him to get decapitated? Oh, yes. That well, neck I, 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 want, I wanted, well, you know, I wanted it to be, someone to come along and just tie a knot in it. <laughs> 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 but this movie introduces um, one great concept that no one ever seems to consider, though, about the Star Wars universe. Because obviously, everything has to go wrong. Because we need to get from you know the prequel trilogy to the you know eventual trilogy, the, the proper trilogy. So, of course, the universe needs to start getting darker, and someone needs to kick all this off. And, ladies and gentlemen, of the jury, I present to you, Mr. Jar Jar Binks, otherwise known as the man who brought down the galaxy. <laughs> When you sit and think about it, Jar Jar destroyed the universe. It was a blatant attempt to sort of justify his existence in these films, wasn't it? Because Jar Jar is assigned to fill in for Senator Amidala when she's when she's off in hiding. You think, who would give him government work? <laughs> this is what you get for hiring casuals. This exactly that tourists is what it is. <laughs> but um, I believe this movie also introduces a key figure whom we heard mentioned in the, the original trilogy, even. But he finally gets a face and indeed a voice and certainly an actor in this form, and that is Senator Bail Organa, played by Jimmy Smith. Like, <laughs> I love Jimmy Smith. It's Matt Santos. It is. It's um, it's a, a definitely a. It, it's the smoothest bit of Star Wars casting since Billy D. Oh, yeah, I would definitely. say. It, it, Jimmy Smith is the only person other than Billy D. Williams to pull off slick in a Star Wars movie. He just needs a cape. He really does. He doesn't have a cape, but... I know, he does have a cape at the Is end. Okay? He has a black cape. Well, more like that balcony. Oh, no, well, not the balcony. Oh, yeah. he, has a, he has a black cape. Doesn't have a, doesn't have a Dracula collar, though. No. He's, 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 he has a guy's Doctor Strange. Yeah. He's, he's a bit yeah. more demure. Okay. <laughs> he's a more demure <laughs> fashion cape. Tell you who else pulls off a cape. Go on. Another new entry to it. Go on. 
Christopher Lee. Yes, yeah. of course. Ah, we're yeah. forgetting about. But this was the big stunt casting of the film. This was the big appeal. It's, it's a Star Wars movie with Dracula as the yeah. film. What the hell? This We'd is already had Cushing in the original. Say, this is for Cushing. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, one thing we always forget as well is this was going to be the first Star Wars movie with a two-handed lightsaber battle. And then this was market. This was actually in the marketing. It was going to be, oh my god, we're going to see a you know, Jedi fight with two wielding. Exactly. And uh, also the first curved lights. And they kind of branched out with the design a little bit. Little did we realise, of course, until we actually saw the film, because somehow they managed to keep this under wraps, we were going to get to see Yoda fight. Ugh. And boy, was that depressing. I remember after watching it, there were so many people who I had a lot of respect for and lost within seconds who all said, oh, wow, Yoda fighting was amazing. I was like, did you just watch the same part of the film as me? Because that was garbage. It was like a Tasmanian devil it on was, acid. It was. It was like a green ball. And, and, and not only that, what was the point? Yoda was like, you know, this mega, uber-powerful Jedi Master. Why did he need a lightsaber before? He didn't need it. He could have just said, gesture, gesture. Oh, dear, you've what? just been like some great... You've just been sandwiched between two big, like, metal cylinders, you know, like, and... Oh, sorry, you lost your arm, by the way, Anakin, but, like, there you go. This film also... Yoda. It It brought him down to just, like... I mean, you've also got the fact that he's now a benefit fraudster, because he does that hobbling along on his cane. That's it, yeah. Very well observed, Then, like, bounce around like that. It's like, oh, no, no one's watching now. (laughs) This movie does also cheapen R2-D2 by being the first movie to introduce a set of abilities that R2-D2 displays absolutely nowhere else except for the movie that follows this. Rocket packs. It finally (laughs) answers the question of how R2-D2 got up and down stairs. Well, we had rockets the whole time. But we actually saw him stumbling left and right downstairs in Moss Eisley in the very first film. We did. I reckon he ran out of, you know, petrol. Yeah. And he just... Somebody just sabotaged him. Object fuel. For me, this movie falls apart the minute the clone element is actually introduced and Anakin gets to actually have a storyline. Uh, the dialogue in it somehow manages to surpass even the Phantom Menace <laughs> by being truly appalling the clip we have, which is obviously Anakin professing his undying love for the chick he met once when he was nine, um, is just absolutely dreadful. Oh, that, and, and I thought nothing could quite top that whole... Are you an angel? But it turns out... He's, he's got, uh, I've noticed um, one thing that we seem to... Nobody's even mentioned about Anakin. He's got a thing for older chicks, hasn't he? He really does. Yeah, he likes older women. To be fair, Portman. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, one thing I, do, I always remember about episode two is I remember the poster for it. And it's, they never use this poster anymore. And it was just a poster of Anakin and Amidala with their backs to each other. And, it's, and the tagline was, A Jedi shall not know uh, fear nor anger nor love. And I loved that poster. I thought it was a great poster. It was a nice sort of sentiment. And if the film had matched that poster, it would have been amazing. However... George Lucas was involved and he still had complete creative control and he still wrote it and he still directed it and he still did everything else and producer Rick was still there to tell him he was amazing and god damn you producer Rick it's all Rick's fault isn't it's it? all it's all you know who producer Rick is producer Rick is the jar jar of the Lucasfilm empire <laughs> I've heard he was actually cloned from Lucas himself. This yeah. is worrying. We've, we've <laughs> like got one of his shirts. One he of found his him on, shirts. He found him on Kimono. This is worrying. <laughs> Just going back to the cloning thing. I mean, like Camino. That's it. It's Camino. The, the clone <laughs> Camino. Camino. How can anybody have a job as a? You'd have clones everywhere. It's very true. It is. It's worrying that. 
So last, but certainly by no means least, because the least is the Phantom Menace, episode three, Revenge of the Sith, not Attack of the Clones, which I inadvertently said earlier. So this is the this is the one that we were all waiting for. The minute they announced prequels, this was the one you were desperate to get to. The one in which Anakin would finally go to the dark side and the Jedi would finally fall and the Empire would rise and the universe would go to hell in a handbasket and basically, you know, would, would have to stay that way for a few decades before, you know, Han Solo could go through puberty and Luke just about grasped it. And, uh, yeah. So, here's a clip. Anakin has turned to the dark side. You're wrong. How could you even say that? I have seen a security hologram of him killing younglings. Not Anakin. He couldn't. He was deceived by a lie. We all were. It appears that the Chancellor is behind everything, including the war. Palpatine is the Sith Lord we've been looking for. After the death of Count Dooku, Anakin became his new apprentice. I don't believe you. The much fabled fight that we were all waiting for between Obi-Wan and Anakin. This is what we we as long-term fans had had hinted at in like comic adaptations and everything. That's the thing I was going to ask. I, I, I want to know this one. Because before I knew before episode three that it involved lava and Anakin falling, etc., how did I know that? Because it's not specifically mentioned in the films, I don't think. Extended universe. Extended uh, the extended universe of books and comics. There was a special team who worked for Lucas who checked it for continuity so that nothing clashed with anything else. Okay. However, when it came to making his own films, he didn't use that team because he just made it up as he went along. <laughs> um, but in that, we had been told bits and pieces of the backstory. I've got, like, character profiles which mm. work perfectly. It's like, you know, who was Uncle Owen? Well, according to, like, the extended universe... He, he was, was Joel Edgerton. He was o- um, Obi-Wan's estranged brother. Was he? Yeah. Who... Oh, okay. They didn't get on, but it was a perfect place to hide a child of Skywalker. Um, now it doesn't make sense in this now core universe that um, he's actually he's, he's actually is the, the uncle. He's actually the stepson, isn't he? He's the stepson of yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah I get you. Right. So, uncle, I forgot about uncle. But yeah, we'd we'd been told like hints of like this epic battle next to a lava, and that's how he got the disf- burned disfigurements. He lost limbs in this fight. This is what we wanted from day one of the prequels being announced. However, by the time it got round to telling us this story, we'd basically given up hope. I was going to say, we kind of all checked out by this point. And this film is the one that showcases everything that's wrong with the trilogy, the prequel trilogy for me. Do, do explain. The film is an afterthought to the animated series. Okay. It, has, it starts off with characters that were fleshed out in an animated series, but you've never seen before. General Grievous. I was going to say, Jen, you're thinking of General Grievous. It yeah. also has... Lightsabers are plenty. Now, lightsabers used to be great in the original trilogy because you'd only saw a few. Lightsaber fights were few and far between. They were mysterious. They were fantastic. By the time it had got to this point of this prequel trilogy, they were so prevalent in every scene Mm. that you even had a four-armed robot waving four of them around. Flashy, flashy, lighty, lighty, flashy, flashy, light. They're the Star Wars equivalent of iPhones. Yeah, they're everywhere. (laughs) 
Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they're everywhere and they're overrated. I remember actually, General Grievous at one point was going to be voiced by uh, Gary Oldman. Yeah. yeah. And then that never happened, and it's a guy who just does animated voiceovers now. But the thing I always remember, and this actually happened shortly before the release of episode two, it's about a year before episode two came out, there was a petition. Now, just cast your mind back to you know, when episode two came out, which was you know 2002. What happened um, at the end of 2001, cinematically? What big thing entered the world at the end of 2001? Gandalf and Little Men. There you go. Now, the funny thing is that about three months after that, a petition suddenly appeared on the internet demanding that George Lucas hand over episode (laughs) two and three to Peter Jackson. And it gained traction. For about five minutes, this petition gained traction. Didn't occur to any of these people signing said petition that episode two would feasibly be about 90% complete at that point. But then you get to episode three and you think, you know what, just let him finish at this stage. What what could he possibly make any worse at this at this stage? Now episode three has it actually ends the Clone Wars in the same way that Age of Ultron ends the whole Hydra thing, it ends the Clone Wars in literally an opening sequence. An opening sequence battle which ends an entire war, which as Andy points out, is an animated series. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally an animated series. <clears throat> but then you get Luke's, uh, not Luke, Anakin's, <laughs> Anakin's secret marriage to uh, still Senator Amad, long serving Senator, uh, Senator Amidala and her secret pregnancy and uh, his his secret grooming by the Chancellor who we know at this point is evil but Anakin doesn't and before you know it, it's all gone wrong, Order 66 has been enabled, the bad guys are out, the Jedi are all being wiped out like a scene from The Godfather and you finally realise why this is the only Star Wars movie at that point, to have to get a 12A rating. Although, notably enough, if you ever look at like when it came out, it happened, it lucked out in a sense, because this Star Wars movie opened round about the same time as Batman Begins, when Dark and Grit was in. So having the darkest, grittiest Star Wars movie kind of worked out, you know, time-wise. It, it wasn't particularly dark and gritty. Well, it wasn't it, Empire, was it? It was just because of the scarring and the lava pit... Um, the most disappointing lightsaber fight ever. So, I will say this. Of, of all the prequels, this one gets the best performances out of everyone, I think. The best acting performances. Yeah. And that's, it's a low bar. It's a very low That's not bar. saying very much. I don't know. Very low bar. But by the time it got to like Hugh McGregor voicing the You can't win, Anakin. I have the higher ground. I've just given up. That's the thing. It's still really bad. It's but <laughs> it's the least bad of <laughs> I mean, my my benchmark is always, I have seen footage of him killing younglings. But, you know, it's one of those things. Okay, it's not the worst of the trilogy. You know, clones and and Phantom were worse than this. Um, I'll have to agree, because it, it actually had a good title. <laughs> the Phantom Menace. I mean, what kind of a title is the that? The film was briefly called Balance of the Force. Which would have been better. Stage. And then, of course, you had Attack of the Clones. Clones, sorry, <laughs> bad habit. But like it was, but it had a proper title. And again, like we, it can't get any worse. It's can it? The movie does open with a pretty decent action sequence, which leads to the final battle between Anakin, Obi Wan, and Count Dooku. And it, well, a, a decent space set action mm. sequence. It's as soon as they crash onto that, it goes a bit cartoony yeah. very quickly. But then they actually do redeem it with a lightsaber battle. I think to an extent. As, as you see, the lightsabers again. 
Well, yeah, just, it is true. I just really have a problem with it because Phantom Menace was pitched like, ooh, twin-bladed lightsabers. Uh, as we mentioned, Attack of the Clones is like, hey, dual wielding. And this was pitched as like, you're going to see a robot with them now. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but he didn't even use those four lights. He whipped them around like fans. Yeah. And they've pinched that from the Japanese because... The um, only lightsaber fight that should have mattered is the one at the end of the film. It's very true. So by packing lightsaber fights in from the start of the film all the way through, it took away from that epic fight that we were all waiting to see. I do think there is one genuinely great moment from George Lucas in this film, and it turns out to be the only genuinely great moment from George Lucas in the entire trilogy, and that is this unspoken sequence in which Anakin and Amid are in two separate places on Coruscant and they're just sort of looking into the distance presumably at each other but obviously they can't see each other. It's a really nicely staged moment and it is one of the, it's probably the only genuinely good moment in the entire trilogy. (laughs) But then we've got to discuss sort of the big revelatory plot points in this one. So, Order 66 how do you think that one played out? It's Godfather montage effectively. Is it me, or did the Jedi suddenly become very, very easy to kill? Yeah, because uh, all of a sudden those those squaddies, the clone troopers, like all of a sudden they, they didn't, you know, they just sort of shall we kill him? Then we've been told to, yeah, okay, let, let's go for it, let's, let's do it for a laugh. <laughs> you know, what I really like is there's, this, there's uh, no, they just got on with. There's no like sort of like kind of conflict. Hang on, wait a second, there. like you know, because this, they're they're organics, they're not That's robots, true. so they should have been. At mm. least some sort of hesitation. There mm. wasn't. I'm thinking, no, that's wrong. If they were machines, they would have been programmed to do it. That's very true. Which is exemplified in the Clone Wars animated series that followed, when you get to know more about the actual names and the personalities of each of these clone troopers. Can I just point out that one of them in, in Episode 3 does have a name, and he is Obi-Wan's clone bitch, Cody. Yep. And who, who Obi Wan keeps referring to, and I've, I've just taken calling him his clone bitch because he just seems to follow Obi Wan around and do whatever he says. Come along, Cody, and it, it, it's just this weird. I don't know. I, I, I think there might be some sort of like subconscious sort of thing there. You know, the sort of George Lucas Rick producer sort of relationship there. You know, is the yes guy? <laughs> think about it. Like I say, clone bitch Cody is in fact producer Rick. <laughs> yeah, I rest my case. Who is in turn judge the. Lucasfilm. <laughs> did we crack the code? Crack did the we code. need Chewbacca to be shoehorned into this film at all? No, we did not. No, especially no. now that he, no. you know we found out that he was really good buddies with Yoda. So you, you would have thought, of, like in the original films, he would have said to Luke at one point, "Like, oh, tell Yoda I'm missing." Also, doesn't yeah. <laughs> so like from me. Yeah, d- doesn't uh, Chewbacca have like a BFF in this movie as well? Yeah. And yeah, I also like that he has a very short name, and Yoda says, "Oh, goodbye, short name. Goodbye, <laughs> Chewbacca." <laughs> like oh good god, and then takes off in his little like space the portal. Loop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it. Right from the first time I saw it, I just thought Yoda was going for a dump. <laughs> <laughs> and they built one just for him. And just like, he he has a ship that's exactly Yoda sized. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, oh, that's convenient. We've got a Yoda sized escape pod. Yeah, there's one here, mate. Constipated, I am. So what time I will be. <laughs> final, final lightsaber battle. <laughs> So final lightsaber battle between uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin. This is what the whole trilogy is building up to. Is just this what's going to make Darth Vader. And you, you know what? The fight's actually not bad. It's not awful. It's not brilliant. It's not bad, though. It's just not anything special. No. 
it's nothing big. There's, there's, there's no tension bigger. there. The, the only tension is the fact that George Lucas has managed to resist the urge to cut away from it. And I still can't work out how he managed to cut off those limbs in that particular one swipe. I think he ruins that whole sequence by, in the middle of it, there is one big cutaway in the middle of it where he cuts to uh, Yoda and Palpatine and Yoda's ultimate exile from the world, in which Yoda apparently plans the future of the universe in a second. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I don't know, the fight is somewhat underwhelming. It, it also, like, you know, the way that, you have to realise that Obi-Wan and Anakin had a unique friendship, a bonding through all those years that... The, he literally they, says, you are my brother, Anakin. And I love you. After he cuts his limbs off, he just leaves him next to a lava pit to slowly burn to death. Nicks his lightsaber and scarpers. I know! So I'll, I'll take that, give it to your now, future child, you child murdering fa- git. Fair enough, he's a child murderer, so maybe he wouldn't want to take him away and save him. But you would at least show some compassion and put your old friend out of his misery. I just can't get my head around the idea that, yes, I will subscribe to your life policies and in turn murder children for you, because... I'm not insane, and that seems perfectly rational. The whole fall, you weirdo. <laughs> the whole fall of Anakin to the dark side is basically summed up with a simple like, um, "Oh, there's dark side powers, you know? Is there? Yeah, I'm a teacher. Okay, then. That's it. <laughs> Go on, the some kids. And also, like, they're really cool. <laughs> Your eyes will go all like weird and yellowy. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you'll have this rubbery face, which sort mm. of looks like a cartoon. And squid. not forgetting, and not forgetting those really sinister contact lenses. <laughs> Can I say the dispatching of Mace Windu was unnecessary? Well, yeah, straight yes, out the window. Yeah. <laughs> Mace Windu. <laughs> Mace through the window. <laughs> The oh, course, was there in the name. There, there is, of course, the, the death of Padme to mention. Oh. She died of a broken heart. <laughs> Good lord. And during the childbirth also creates another slight problem in the continuity. How does Leia remember the face of her mother when that was not her face that she saw last? Because Bail Organa just had a really unhappy wife. <laughs> That's what it is. Jimmy Smith just had a really dissatisfied <laughs> wife, which doesn't jive with reality at all, because Jimmy Smith would not have an unhappy wife. That Definitely guy, I tell you, that guy's slick. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it, it all comes to an end. There is a deleted scene which does explain how Jedi's can be ghosts, and apparently Liam Neeson has a cameo, which was never filmed. But, uh, that's it. The Star Wars saga comes to an end with a 30-year time gap before Luke Skywalker comes on the scene with his blue milk and sand people. And with that, we come to, well, what's to come, really? The Force Awakens. In which, you know what, we finally got our wish. George Lucas is no more. The people in 2002 needn't have bothered, needn't have bothered with their petition because Lucas did it for us. It's so amusing. When Marvel was bought by Disney... Mm. The instant backlash from the fan community was Disney are going to ruin Marvel. As soon as Star Wars was bought by Disney, the instant fan reaction was like, Yay! Lucas has gone! And it just shows that people have faith in what Disney are going to do. Because they showed with Marvel that they do leave the creative control to the directors and the writers and they don't interfere. Um, well, actually, Disney I'm, just I'm leave it sure to Marvel's right. leadership. Yeah, the, although that's all now been rejigged with Marvel, oh, yeah. so um, oh, yeah, yeah. hopefully going true. forwards we're not going to see another Rage of Ultron. That's <laughs> um, But, you know, there's a lot of confidence and there's a lot of expectation. J.J. Abrams has a huge, huge... Burden. Burden. <laughs> it's very true. And I think... And it really needs, it needs to pay off, because if it doesn't, the backlash from this 
is going to be this is going to be nuclear fallout of the greatest degree. <laughs> I think we've we've been remiss though, Andy, in in all this Star Wars talk, we've not addressed the the burning question that I think most people would want to know, which is. Which is your favourite of the two Ewoks movies? <laughs> <laughs> Caravan of Courage. <laughs> oh, I was always more of a Battle for Endor guy. Hang on, you, you actually sat through them. I've never watched them. I've never watched them. them. Oh, and the Ewoks TV no. series. No, oh. we must be lucky not watching them. And, and we'll not even talk about the not Christmas special. Not all I have seen that. E- Ewoks cartoon as well. Ewoks cartoon as well. Ewoks droids. Have you seen droids? droids no, yeah. I don't want to either. I used to watch droids on like BBC. They are all better than The Phantom Menace. They are. They genuinely are. <laughs> Battle for Endor and Caravan of Courage, neither of them is any worse than The Phantom Menace. They are both infinitely better than The Phantom Menace. Okay, I'll give them a watch on that. Yeah. that point. Okay, I'm game. In fact, weirdly, you watch those you watch, and you do think strangely of films like Willow. Yeah. That, that comes up. I think, is it Caravan of Courage? It's a lot like Willow. Very, are they, it, it are they watch, the do point. I need to be drunk or sober? Um, Alcohol will help. Actually, hungover would be it would be the best. Way okay, to. I'll try all three. I'll, I'll go for the lot. Yeah, why not? <laughs> but uh, so no, so we've got the Force Awakens in less than a week. So, Case, what are you hoping for from the Force Awakens? I'm hoping for it to be better than the prequels. Honestly, <laughs> um, I'm up to see quite a bit of Kylo Ren because I don't want Kylo Ren to be a new Darth Maul. I don't want him to just be like one and done, be killed in that film. I want him to last for three films. I want him to be. You yeah. want him to basically be the new Vader equivalent? Sort of, sort of yeah. Fair enough. Colin, what are you hoping for from Force? Some interesting new characters. We've mm-hmm. seen some. We've not seen them all. We've not seen them all. So it um, be very interesting what else it has to offer. Andy? I want JJ to do with Star Wars what he did with Star Trek, but not do what he did with Star Trek Into Darkness. That's a fine line. You realise that? <laughs> It so need, you want him to have the magic to, in the field. You want him to render their method of travel completely inert and obsolete. No, I don't want him to do that because that was Into Darkness, which we've completely made it in. Oh no, the first movie did that too. <laughs> <laughs> Transporters can do whatever in Star Trek. That's what J.J. Abrams says. Um, I just want more. B- I just want a lot of BB-8. I just that's all I want. I, I, I think want, you're going to get it. That's all I want. I what? love BB-8. I think he's a great creation. I want to see a lot of actually perhaps BB-8 the girl. Someone's, I, I, someone's mentioned this somewhere. It's a droid. BB-8 is referred to somewhere as being female. I think. I believe it's not got a Maybe port it's... for that kind of thing. Oh wow! Okay. It's, it's got the, it's got the right port. <laughs> or at least it has. Now I've finished with the drill. <laughs> we are bad people. No, I, I remember. And Joe, something people, when you're listening to this, we're all sober. Not one of us is stoned. When that first trailer came out and it had BB-8, I remember like reading all the online reaction and I was like, "Oh, there's too much CGI. Look at that stupid droid." And then they wheeled it out on stage, yeah, and everyone went, true. "Oh my god, it's real!" <laughs> I know, and and that and that's the big sell of this Christmas as well is BB-8. How yeah. well is that? The, I can't help but wonder though that they may have. Purposefully designed the toy before the character, surely. I'm alright with that. Yeah, I'm cool. Because I'm, I'm kind of, it's such a cool toy. Know. Think, you know what? You, you, you it's like, it's like you it, it is a great, it? It is a great marketing gimmick. Yeah. It really is. Because it's and a physical it effect. With, with your phone as and well, you can so sell you it, yeah. Have any yeah. of you been in the Disney stores in, in, in the last, say, two months since the marketing campaign really mattered? Um, I was there for Force Friday. Force. You were there for Force Friday. Yeah. Have you have you experienced? I experienced this last week. I'm curious if you have as well. Uh, when the trailer comes on, mm. everyone stops what they're doing and watches yeah. the screen. 
I love that. the staff and everyone. The, even yeah, yeah. the staff and everyone. And, and I was I was in the Star Wars section, and the trailer came on. And I stopped and I watched it, and it had it was some TV spot that had a couple of new little bits in it. And there was a staff member stood in front of me who'd done the same thing. He realised he sort of clicked, and we we shared a look like, yeah, we're both we're both grown men. We've stopped what we're doing to watch this. <laughs> and he actually just spoke first. With, I'm really excited. I've got to be honest. So, yeah, yeah, me too, pal. <laughs> just laughed. <laughs> But the thing is, it's that inner child. It is, and it's also a really unifying thing. It is, because like, we all know it, we all see it, we hear that music, we just stop, or we, or we see those scenes that we've, you know, it just something clicks. It's a childhood thing, it's, it's almost like inbred. Well, it, it's, there is, there is well, that, the, the trailers have, I mean, the marketing for it has been superb. I mean, the trailers have been the perfect balance between nostalgia and teasing. Yeah. And they we see just, we just know enough. Yeah, we, we know, know just enough to yeah. want to see. You it. see, they have learnt from the mistakes from the past, like they did with the prequels. They don't make trailers all about Anakin. Yeah. Not only that, don't do millions of tons of merchandise because not everybody. It's not going to be able to be sold just about anywhere. Well, they have rolled out the merchandising. They have, teasers, haven't they? Yeah, yeah they've that played it. They have. And they, there well, is now a week before. Yeah. there is, but. They've paced it perfectly mm. instead of just like yeah, dumping it on us. Because we've noticed that. In, uh, they did I'm, Force Friday, didn't they, in which they yeah. unveiled a small selection. Then they did another one, uh, was it about a month ago now? They, they haven't the have shown us the yeah, They have not shown us everything. There's more. There's going to be a lot more. Because oh. uh, looking ahead to, I mean, being it's a retailer. Be Kylo Ren without his mask figure, yeah. It's, <laughs> well, I mean, we, we see a lot of, I mean, in retail, I've, we've seen glimpses. Prototypes and and like then they do these figures, whereas they only show you the silhouette. But we know what it's going to be. But like, come on! And he's got that look. On on the point of there's more to see. There's one thing that's something that we've not seen yet that does have me concerned. You've seen it on the poster. You might not have actually paid attention to it, but there's a character there that looks like it could kill the franchise. The strange midget with the goggles. Oh yeah! Do you know who that is? Who is that? That is Lupita Nyong'o. Is that Lupita Nyong'o? Maz something is. Now, why have they not? Maz spectrometer. Everyone's everyone's like falling over themselves. Like, oh, we've not seen Luke. We've not seen Luke. We've not seen that either. And I'm more concerned about that. (laughs) That could be the Jar Jar Binks of this new franchise. It's, It's true. But let's not forget that Lupita Nyong'o is the greatest, greatest actress of her generation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. For yeah. Great, greatest actress of her five minutes. Yeah, best actress of 2014. She was in Nonstop as well. She yeah, like, she was in Nonstop, <laughs> in which she, as one of only two black characters, had the exact same haircut as the only other black character, yeah. who was a guy, which was just weird. I guarantee you, if they'd known in advance that she was going to be up for an Oscar, they would have held off on releasing non-stop. It would have been like Eddie Redmayne and Jupiter Ascending all over again. What, you mean Eddie? I create life! Redmayne. I destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Because you know you know, Eddie Redmayne made it when they put him in the Star Wars movie as one of the Imperial villains. I, I don't want to see him in the Star Wars movie. I guarantee that, that. That's the closest we're ever going to get is Jupiter Ascending. That, that could totally have. I could totally see. Not uh, Jupiter Ascending. Uh, I could totally see happen. Eddie Redmayne as sort of an Imperial Admiral or something. Because isn't Donald Gleason one? Donald Gleason. I'm completely fine with that. Donald Gleason's one? Yeah, I can believe that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing what Adam Driver does with Kylo Ren. This is. Because this is going to be really interesting to me. And also, if John Boyega isn't a Jedi, what he does with a lightsaber. Why is it all like. Just up, up to his face. Yeah. Does it not on? burn when you hold it close? Yeah. I, I always imagined they gave off heat. 
but uh, I don't know. So, The Force Awakens is in theatres on, well, at five past midnight on yeah. Thursday, the 17th of December, 2015. Well, unless you live in the US, which unfortunately is getting it a whole 24 hours later. I feel sorry for the people in the US because the secrecy on this film that we don't actually really know what the plot is. Mm. And they've got to avoid the internet for 24 hours. Let, let's be honest, Because though. although people like me, the self, etc., mm. we will, won't be online and spoiling things, sadly... You're, you're not. I'm going to put Kylo Ren as Luke, <laughs> question mark, exclamation mark, <laughs> as my Facebook statement. Luke is his own life. dad. What? <laughs> <laughs> shall, we, shall we just create loads of fake spoilers in order to... Had out, that would actually, that would actually be a good idea. Just yeah. create loads of nonsense. The fact we'll just say they're all clones of one another. Start a movement. Hashtag Force Awakens spoilers. Yeah, that's it. I want no, lightsaber harpoon. I'm going to put that out there right now. <laughs> hey, come on, that would work because like you, you did see <laughs> the uh, lightsaber <laughs> chopsticks. Yeah, yeah. So like that would work. Have seen a lightsaber slingshot? Hey, they'll believe it. It's the internet. They'll believe anything you put on it. Lightsaber dagger. Could totally happen. Yeah. Daisy Ridley has a lightsaber dagger. <laughs> Small effeminate just like in, in her boot or something. Exactly. So, well, that rounds it up rather nicely, I think so. Well, so this has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. My name is Still Case Allen. I think I'm still Colin Yates. I've stopped being Andy Meekin. You really have. And you I think you're better for it. Thank you. <laughs> right, so show resumes as normal. Well, on Saturday. And may the force be with you. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. <laughs>